God teach you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly and do you but whisper the word, God with us, and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery, is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. Christmas, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for being here on Christmas Eve 2014. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and I'm the pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. I'm so glad that you have chosen to uh, join with us here on Christmas Eve uh, and be with us for our candlelight service here tonight. I love what we just watched and what we just heard. It's an audio recreation of a message, as you saw, that was delivered in 1854. Exactly 160 years ago 
tonight by a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He was an English pastor, he was an English preacher, and he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London, England. And he preached this message as a part of uh, something that he was doing in that year of 18, uh, eight, uh, 1854, uh, speaking about Emmanuel, God being with us, of course, as you just heard. And I realize that some of you have been with us here at our church over these past few weeks, and we've been in a series called God With Us, where we focused on two passages of Scripture that Spurgeon pulled and that he picked and that we've used also here as kind of a springboard to talk about what it means that God is with us. There are two passages from Scripture, one in the book of Isaiah and one in the book of Matthew, where we see this name, Emmanuel, that is given to Jesus, but it's more than just a name. It's really a characteristic. It's kind of a title, if you will, because it literally means God with us. And I think that in church, especially in our modern day and age, we focus so much on the divinity of God, and we should, shouldn't we? And he is all-powerful. He is holy. He is righteous. But I think sometimes we may forget or we may ignore the fact that God, that one who is so divine, decided, made the decision to become a human. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. That's what we come together here tonight, and many of you will uh, gather together as family and friends tonight and tomorrow to celebrate the fact that God chose to become human so that he could understand what we go through, so that he, ex he could experience what we experience. And you know, it's interesting, since 1854, 160 years ago, when Spurgeon gave that message that you just heard some clips from, not much has changed because we all still need a God who understands, don't we? We need someone who understands. How many of you uh, tonight have uh, already been teenagers in your life? Raise your hand tonight. Okay, you, some of you are with me. I have too, all right? How many of you are teenagers right now? You're like, I'm not raising my hand because I'm a teenager. How many of you are going to be teenagers one day? Little guys, all right? All right, there we go. Awesome. Yeah, my kids are like, yeah. He's jumping up and down, of course. That's perfect. Thanks, Sean. So we all have experienced these teenage years. And I remember as a junior in high school one night when I was particularly insecure and my dad said something that ticked me off. I don't even think it was really anything. It was probably very benign. But I ran up to my room and closed my door, and I usually got quiet. Some people get loud. Some people get quiet. I got quiet. And he came in, and he said, what's going on? What's going on with you? And I said the words that every teenager since the beginning of time has uttered at some point in time, Dad, you just don't understand. We all want to be understood, don't we? And in particular, we want a father or a mother or someone in authority who understands what we're going through. You see, the fact that God chose to be with us, first of all, makes him a God who chose to understand our suffering. He is a God who chose to become human, and in doing so, he understands our suffering. And because he understands what we go through, then it allows us to be able to identify with him. And all of a sudden, God 
that our view may have been this unapproachable, un, uh, you know, unworthy, we're unworthy to talk to him or maybe distant or so large that we can't have a personal relationship with, all of a sudden in understanding just this one word, just this one phrase in English, we can understand that we have a personal God that really does understand what we go through. Over these past few weeks, we've talked about and highlighted the fact that God does understand us. He, he understands um, really our, our suffering. He understands our rejection because he was rejected. He, he understands our temptation because Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, went through temptation even though he never sinned. He understands our service. He understands when we have to selflessly serve other people. A lot of you will be doing that over the next few days, won't you? Selflessly serving those around you. God understands. And so Emmanuel, God with us, means that he understands our particular circumstance. He understands what we are going through. He understands what Todd is going through. He understands what you are going through. He understands all of your trials and all your tribulations, all of your fears, all of your failures, all those things that you worry about. He understands. But tonight, I really want to focus on the fact that God with us doesn't just mean that he understands our particular circumstance. You see, the fact that God is with us means that he resolved our most desperate situation. Not specific to you, not specific to me, but the desperate situation that we all as human beings find ourselves in. He resolved that desperate situation by becoming God with us. And that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of this story, the beginning of the God-man relationship and how he resolved the gap that exists in this God-man relationship. See, I fear sometimes that we get caught up so much in the desperate circumstances that we face in life. You know, our financial situations, our job issues, our depression, our relationships with other people the things that, that we focus on that are particular to us. Now listen, God understands those things. We already established that. He cares for you in those things. And you can go seek him out because he does understand. You can find comfort in your relationship with him because he does understand. But I fear that sometimes we're so consumed with those desperate situations or circumstances that we find ourselves in that we overlook maybe our greatest place of desperation. And that is as the circumstance or the desperation or the situation that we face in our humanity just by being born. When you walked in tonight, you received a worship uh, folder, and you can uh, look in there for the notes. If you have our app, you can get on your device and also uh, access those notes through there. Tonight, I'm going to allow, in, in this message, I'm going to allow the, the Scripture really to speak much more than I do uh, in many cases tonight because I think it does such a much better job, it always does a much better job than I do in speaking the truth of God's word. You see, we find ourselves as humans in a desperate situation. It's just the facts of life. It is the fact of being a human. The, the prophet Isaiah, all the way back in the Old Testament, at the beginning of the Bible, when he was uh, foretelling or prophesying the fact that God was going to redeem humanity, and he give, even got specific about how he was going to do that, right out of the gates at the beginning in Isaiah 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he says this, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. This is God speaking through the prophet. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. 
Some of you know that situation. Those of you who are parents, you know the under, you understand how children rebel against you. My dad says if, the, if my kids rebel against uh, uh, us and against me, that I'm just getting what I gave to him in many cases. And I'm sure that many of you are in the same situation. But God says that we as a human race have rebelled against him. You see, right away, we see this tension in the story, don't we? I mean, every good story has a tension, doesn't it? And we see it right out of the gates in Isaiah chapter 1. All the way fast forwarding to the New Testament, hundreds of years later when the apostle Paul was writing, he wrote most of the New Testament, he, he wrote these words in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath, God's anger. I, I don't particularly like to talk about God's anger. That's not a theme you're going to hear a lot if you attend this church. But I will tell you, I like this part of God's wrath. You're like, well, wait a minute, how can that be? How can you like God being angry? Because what Paul is saying here in Romans 1.18 is that God is mad at our sin. He is angry with our sin. He's angry with that thing that causes a break in the relationship. And the fact that God is mad about that is a good thing, isn't it? He's angry at the fact that we have sin. He's angry at the fact that it separates us from God, this thing that we call sin, that entered the world with the creation of the first humans, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they chose to rebel against God. And so his wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. And I want to tell you something today. It's actually God's anger that makes God's love so great. See, it's actually his anger and wrath towards sin that makes his love for you and I so amazing. So without that anger that Paul talks about here towards sin, man, we wouldn't get to experience the love of God through Jesus Christ. Paul also talks about the fact that we all have sinned. He says this in Romans 3.23. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you might be sitting out there and you might be saying, you know, I I understand this whole sin thing and I can get the fact that it separates me from God. But man, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm not that bad of a person. And I think that I probably do some things that kind of make up for the bad things that I do. And and that can maybe get me on God's good side or kind of repair or restore that relationship with him. But Paul here says, for all have sinned. That's the key word right there, all, and fall short of the glory of God. I love this passage because the word that he used in the original language is a word that um, was, you would have understood it if you read it back then as a, in an archery uh, context. It was an archer that was literally pulling back the arrow and the bow and letting it go towards the target, but that archer would miss the target. Now, listen, I'm not a hunter. I'm a city boy, and I love to play golf. That's about it. So I'm going to get some email about this. I don't hunt. I've never actually held a bow and an arrow, okay? Sorry, guys, that you guys are hunters, but that's just not my thing. Sorry about that. But that's what Paul was talking about. He was literally talking about the fact that we as humans miss the target that God has placed on us. That's how we sin. And the key word there is all. None of us can escape this. In Romans 6.23, Paul talks about the fact that the wages of sin is death. And we're going to get to the second part of that verse that you see up there, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, 
the death he was talking about there isn't physical death. It's eternal death. He's talking about eternal death. And so Paul is saying there the wages, the results, the, the consequences eternally of sin is eternal death. And we're going to get to the second part of that in a moment. Do you see the desperate situation that mankind is faced with? Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Debbie Downer up here talking to you on December 24, 2014. I realize, but there's more to the story. There's so much more to the story. It really ends up good. Take a look at the second point. We move from this terrible situation this awful desperation to the fact that God is the one who provides our salvation. I, I want to highlight three verses in Isaiah 41, chapter 41. This is great. Uh, he, he says, uh, the prophet here again says, Listen to me in silence, O coastland. Let the people, peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, uh, then let them speak. Let us draw together near, or let us together draw near for judgment. You can see there that something is coming, right? It doesn't sound very good, does it? But then take a look at verse 10. He says this. There's judgment coming. There's something, some kind of calamity that's coming. Spiritually speaking, that's death if we don't have a resolution to that eternal death. And he says here, fear not, for I am with you. So here's where the story begins to change. Here's where it turns. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. And he says, I will strengthen you. And I will uphold you. I'll help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. And then in 14, verse 14, he says, fear not, you worm, Jacob. I love that. Remember, God told him to call Jacob a worm, by the way. Don't do that at the dinner table tonight. It'll probably make for not a Merry Christmas, I promise you. But he says, you men of Israel, you worm of Jacob, I am the one. This is God speaking. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. You see, God wants to provide, and he does provide salvation from our desperate situation. He provides salvation from our desperate situation. And then we read in Isaiah 53, the beginning of how God did that. One of the most familiar passages from the Old Testament that talks about Jesus. Isaiah has painted this picture for, four, for 52 chapters of this calamity that's coming in. And in, in chapter 53, uh, he, he begins to talk about the Redeemer. And he says this, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Like, who is going to believe that this is coming? And then he talks about Jesus here. He begins prophesying about the one who would come. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm living in this day and age, if I'm a Hebrew, if I'm a Jewish person in this day and age, and I've heard and read about all this calamity, I think that someone is coming who's a king, a prince, someone who's going to save the world with glory and power and, and this majesty. And here's what Isaiah says. For he grew up before him like a young plant, not exactly majestic, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He, Jesus, was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. Who hide their faces? He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Picture him carrying our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We kind of thought that this Jesus was despised by God and so despised by us. Verse 5, he was pierced 
for our transgressions. That's just a big word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Again, a large word for sin there. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. You see, it's Jesus that brings peace to our desperate situation. God wanted to resolve it, and he did it through Jesus in a different way than we thought. And with his wounds, the end of verse 5 says, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the sin or iniquity of us all. You see, God allowed his son to come to this earth to live for 33 years so that you, each one of you, could have eternal life. So that the punishment for your own sin and my own sin could be taken upon him. So that we would not have to endure it. He wanted to provide salvation for our desperation. So we move from desperation to salvation. And then finally, we can receive comfort from that. We can receive comfort from that. Again, back to Isaiah, this great prophet on the Old Testament. He says in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry for her. Her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And he says, every valley shall be lifted up. You feel like you're in a valley tonight? You feel like you've been worn down over this holiday season? Like driving around from store to store? like with the list that's huge and growing with every text that you get, and every license plate is not from South Carolina. They're from everywhere else. No offense to those of you vacationing here. We're glad you're here. We really are. But, I mean, come on, right? Wow. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And there we have it, the prophecy from Isaiah of this one, Jesus, who would be the salvation. And in Matthew 1, we see it fulfilled. When we see the birth of Jesus, verse 21 in Matthew chapter 1, she will bear a son, speaking of Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. You can say it with me. Emmanuel, God with us. He chose to save the world in the most unusual way. By becoming human. Even a baby born in a stable. And he did it because he wanted to take the penalty for our sins. Paul speaks of this in Romans 6.23. We read the first part. The first part is not so encouraging. He says, the wages of sin is death. But look at the second part. This is the good part. The free gift of God is what? Eternal life. Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul goes on in Romans 10.9 to, to say exactly what needs to happen on your part and my part, for us to receive that free gift. Because sometimes we're in a position that we don't want to receive things, aren't we? We're in a position that we think that we know better than even God, don't we? Arms crossed, attitude's not right. We need to be in a position to receive the free gift that God offers. And 
Paul talks about how to do that. If you confess with your mouth in Romans 10, 9, he says that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what's that last word? Saved. You will be saved. You see, though our situation is our bottom line today, though our situation for eternity is desperate because of our sin, we can be assured of eternal hope when we trust Emmanuel for salvation. God with us. And I realize that for some of you who have gathered in, hey, a lot of you, maybe even most of you, you've accepted this. Maybe long ago, maybe just recently, I I don't know. But for some of you, you came in today, and maybe you doubt this to be true. Or maybe you're skeptical, or maybe you're just interested or searching. My challenge to you today is have you decided, and will you decide, to trust Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us? Sometimes it takes just that one step of faith to put your full trust in him. There's an old story about a uh, famous paratrooper who was speaking to a group of young paratroopers, giving them training, new recruits. And he had finished his speech, and he, he got done, and he asked if there were any questions. And one guy in the back raised his hand, and he acknowledged him. He said, uh, sir, ask me your question. He said, what made you decide to make your first jump? And this famous paratrooper, very quickly and in a lot of wit, said, 20,000 feet up in the air in a plane with three bad engines made me take my first jump. You know, that's a situation we find ourselves in, desperate. But sometimes our desperate situation is exactly what we need in our life to take that step of faith and to put our trust for eternity in him, in Jesus, in Emmanuel. God with us. Here over the next few minutes, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to challenge those of you who are here today, and maybe you walked in a doubter or a skeptic, to make that decision tonight. I'm going to challenge you, if there's something that you've heard, or if you've heard something that was sung or in a video tonight that made an impact, I want to invite you to make that decision, to make Emmanuel your Savior, so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you don't see the light of day tomorrow, that you know exactly where you're going. And you're going to be in heaven with God one day. Would you pray with me tonight? God, we thank you so much for Jesus, Emmanuel. We thank you so much for becoming God with us. For the incarnate baby Jesus that we celebrate tonight and tomorrow. And God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with those who maybe walked in here today and the last thing they have is comfort. Desperation describes the way they think, the way they fear, the thoughts that they have, the emotions that rage. God, I pray for those who have not put their trust in you for salvation. God, I pray that today, tonight, December 24th, 2014, would be the day that they make that decision to trust you for eternity. If you're in here tonight and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I I just want to invite you to do that. I want to challenge you to do that. It's the most important decision you'll make ever. Because while your own situations, you know, finances and family and relationships and all of those things that are very important to God are difficult for you and they may be dark for you, He understands that. But the situation for your soul, for eternity, 
is so much more desperate than your short-lived temporal circumstance while here on earth. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. And I'm going to invite you the best way that you can, just in the quietness of your heart, just to pray a prayer to God for salvation. I'm going to pray a sample out loud. You can follow along in your heart, quietly, just you and God. It goes something like this. God, thanks for loving me. Thank you so much for creating me. God, before tonight, I really was worried about eternity. But God, tonight I realized that my sin keeps me from you. And tonight on December 24th, 2014, I want to put my trust in you, Jesus. If you prayed that short prayer tonight along with me, somehow, someway in your heart to God, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand tonight so I can pray for you. I promise I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer or something like it along with me. Thanks. Anyone else tonight? Pray that prayer along with me. Just raise your hand. Anyone else tonight? Pray that prayer. God, thank you so much for the work that you have done tonight on Christmas Eve 2014. God, those who said yes to you, even if they didn't raise their hand, God, they said yes to you, that free gift that you gave us. And because of that, they're going to spend eternity with you in heaven. And God, I thank you for that. God, we thank you for the precious gift that you gave in the person of Jesus. And God, I pray for each one of us who've gathered here tonight, that tonight as we go home and unwrap presents or tomorrow around the Christmas tree, God, I pray that we wouldn't uh, be thinking of ourselves this Christmas, but that we would be reminded with every present we open, with every new thing that we see, God, I pray that we would be reminded of the work that you did by being God with us, Emmanuel. Thank you so much for doing that, Jesus. It's in your name we pray tonight. Amen. Amen. You know, the story of Christmas has angels announcing different things all along. Before his birth, during his birth, after his birth. And they would often make announcements, proclamations. And often those proclamations would be about the good news of the gospel message. That's what gospel means, good news. They would be about the good news of the peace that follows when we make that decision to accept Jesus as our Savior. They announced the fact that even when turmoil defines our life, all can truly be well because of what Christ did on the cross. Check this out. 